Thank you so much for listening in to the Kathy Lee Parker Show. With me today, my guest is Brad Newfield. He is a free went from farmer to business owner. Welcome, Brad, to my show. Well, thank you, Kathy Lee. You're I'm welcome. Excited to be here. You're welcome, and thank you for coming on the show. And oh my gosh, we have a lot to talk about. So we, you went from farmer to a business owner. Oh yeah, and and everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> everything in between so tell me what that was like and tell me you know your experience and everything you bet well i was actually uh, born and raised in a well at the time it was a small town of bakersfield california and if you don't know where that is it's in between los angeles and san francisco if you go on i-5 and just kind of run your finger down there you'll see it uh, <laughs> about 200 miles north of uh, of LA uh, at the time. Well, it still is. It's a big farming community, although that's not where my farming career started. I grew up there in Bakersfield, where you five fifty thousand people there, but it was growing rapidly. There was all kinds of different people coming into the valley and and things, and things weren't going really well for my uh, for my mom and dad at the time financially. Uh, they were trying to get some deals going, and uh, my dad started out being an accountant. Then uh, one day he just came to us. It was just out of the blue. This was when I was 13 years old. And he says, uh, guys, uh, we're experiencing some severe financial challenges, and we need to uh, uh, we need to move, and we need to move right now. And so I had actually come home and, uh, to my house, and this was two weeks after my 13th birthday, and I saw this big old huge moving van parked out in front of my house. And I'm like, what the crud is going on there? Well, when I went inside, my dad was just finishing up a meeting with my brothers and sisters. And he said, we're leaving. We're leaving tonight. And we packed everything we had and we moved in the middle of the night. Uh, and we went all the way clear down to a little town in Alabama, a little town called Thomaston. At the time, there was only a thousand people there. I think there was a thousand and five. And they were proud of that, that they had that extra five there. And so, uh, but it was where some friends of my family lived, uh, Frank and Marlene Crabtree, and they owned a 4,000 acre soybean farm. Uh Well, (laughs) I started working there on the farm uh, just because that's what we did. But then it was just about a month later, my dad came to me and says, well, we're going to have to go back out to California. And at the time, I didn't want to go back out to California. Uh, because there was just a lot of uh, stuff going on there with gangs and drugs and and everything else that I was uh, on the verge of being a part of, even though I didn't want to, but it was all about survival there. So I just asked if I could kind of stay back for a little while. And my parents agreed to that. The Crabtrees agreed to that. And they said, well, you can work for the summer here and then we'll send you home. Well, after my parents had left, uh, Mr. Crabtree called me up and says, "Uh, Brad, let's sit down and have a little chat. He said, things aren't going well with the family right now. And he says, you're probably going to have to be with her, be here with us for the foreseeable future. Uh-huh. And they uh, went on to say, we know you're only 13 years old. However, you've got to earn your way around here. We've got our own family to to raise. And so you've got to pay your way. And there was a trailer that was already there, a little, a small house trailer, a single wide that, uh, I was able to live in, but I had to make all the payments on it. I had to make a payment on my car, my first car at 14. And that's, that's where my life began as a farmer. And at I did age? that for about 
two and a half years at, at 13. Brad, at age 13? You had... At age 13. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I got a, I got a whopping $1.85 an hour. That was worth it, wasn't it, Kathy Lee? Oh, my gosh. Come on. <laughs> $1.85. What year would that have been? What year would that have been? That was, that was from 1977 to 1979. I got there in June of 77. I think that's what the minimum wage was, you know, dollar yeah, eighty-five. Yeah, minimum wage. I believe it was uh, right around two dollars. Uh, but on farms, they're not required to pay minimum wage. So really, yeah, they, it was just a thing where I was thirteen, and so they just figured, oh, I'll just I'll take what I can get. What type of farming was it? Like, was it potatoes? It was soybeans. Yeah, oh. soybeans. Yep. Do you like soybeans today? Yeah, I I still do to this day. Believe it or not, <laughs> but uh, with you know, the edamame that everybody eats, that's soybeans. Uh, but <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, yeah, we uh, we grew a lot of them. And so, but it was a big operation and we, uh, I was forced to work for a lot of hours. Um, mm -hmm. But when I was young and all that, it was, it was fun. I'm not going to lie. It was, uh, didn't have time to get into trouble after that. I'll tell you that. Well, I just want to share something funny with you though. Because okay. the envi the environment that I was in in California was such that if, um, like me being young, I had my bicycle that I would take to the store, and I would just go lay it down in front of the store, run in, grab a candy bar, I'd come out, and my bike would be gone. <gasps> you know, and then I'd go to the mall, and I'd think, all right, I'm going to strap the chain around my front tire, right, and put it to the bike rack that they have there. Mm -hmm. Well, you come out, your bike's gone except for the tire, and it's still chained there to the do the thing. I mean, it was just no matter what it was, if it wasn't, uh, you know, buried five feet in the ground, it was going to be, <laughs> it was going to leave. It was just this environment where just you always had to be on your guard or things would just disappear. It was just a highly volatile uh, environment. And then I go back to Alabama uh -huh. and everybody leaves their keys in their cars. Everybody leaves their windows open at night. And I'm like freaking out going, what are you guys doing? Somebody's going to take your car. And I just uh, vividly remember Mr. Crabtree when I said that. He said, what do you mean take my keys? My neighbor might need to borrow it. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like really? <laughs> and so uh, I went from one extreme to another where everybody was just honest and open. And if you needed something, they'd help out your neighbor. And so it was just a, it was just a, such a different environment. You know, and so I, I learned to love that environment. But yeah, I would work uh, really long hours, especially during the spring, because we'd have to do our planting season. And uh, planting season, when it was time, there was just a short window after it would stop raining uh, right around uh, the last part of March. And so we'd have a two-week window uh, to get the seeds into the ground. And we'd literally be working from, well, when I say 24-7, I meant 24-7. We'd have to get up and go to school in the morning from six uh, o'clock until about one the schools always push their hours back during planting season because they knew it was uh, that was a, a critical thing and so I would be on the tractor about 1 30 in the afternoon and I would go until two in the morning and then somebody would come and relieve me and then I'd go get a couple hours sleep and be right back up and get right back to school and that was pretty much the, the whole spring until um until we got all the seeds planted by the end of May and school was over with. And then after that, it was just long days. But again, I didn't mind it. We we just always, uh, we we're always busy. So we didn't have time to think of anything else. So it was a lot of fun. 
Mm-hmm. But then, but then when I got to be about that 15 and a half that I mentioned to you, my, my parents uh, finally got their feet underneath them and they said, well, now it's time to get back together. And, and they said, well, you know, are you ready, Brad? And I'm like, well, sure. You know, I've already kind of made a home for myself down here and still, you know, working and supporting myself. So that's what I kind of got used to. And, and the thing is that I just didn't want to go back to California. And so uh, they said, well, we're going to, my dad got a job up here in Utah, up in Salt Lake City, Utah, actually with Murray, Utah. And so we decided, okay, we'll get back together up here in, in Utah. So we get together here and my dad was working, uh, again, being an accountant, but then the company he was working for six months after I got here went out of business and he couldn't find a job around here anywhere. So he wanted to go back to California because he had a, a job opportunity with one of my uncles who owned an electrical company. And so he, uh, I just said, well, send me back to Alabama. I just don't want to go, uh, just didn't want to go back there. And, and they, he said, well, why don't we just do this? Why don't you just stay here? Because eventually after I retire, I want to move. We, my mom, your mom and I want to move back up here to Utah. And it was that that's how it went. And I just stayed here and finished my high school, just had my own apartment and, and things. And now most teenagers would think, well, man, that would be the ideal thing. No, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't at all. It was a, it was one of those things that you don't realize how, what kind of friends you have and don't have until you're in a situation like that. You realize real quick, my friends didn't really like me. They wanted my apartment. Is that, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can follow that or not, but you're like, okay, well, I go to work, I get food, my friends come over, they take all my food, and they party it up, leave the place dirty, and then leave. I ask them to help me clean up. Oh, what kind of friend are you? I'm like, well, um, I found myself growing up real fast and saying, guess what? Nobody's coming over to my apartment anymore. You're not going to help out around here? Boy, I sound like a parent at 16, don't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to help out around here and support uh, what goes on no you can't come to my place anymore so that was a very eye-opening experience and so ended up being here uh being uh here like i said getting myself through high school there were some ups and downs all the way through that process as well uh but then when i got to graduate from high school i still wanted to be a farmer but i just realized after a while the farming I wasn't going to be able to do it because that by then the whole farming industry had changed. And if you weren't a multimillionaire, there was no way you were going to get into farming. Uh, there just wasn't an opportunity to borrow money and start because the way the, the country was, was buying produce or buying any of the, the seeds like the soybean seeds that I was used to producing, uh, they just weren't paying that much for them. It was cheaper to buy them from another country. And so that whole dream just kind of died just mm-hmm. kind of died on me mm-hmm. and so um after a while i just decided well now what you know when i got to be about 21 22 uh, two years old i'm like okay where do i go from here and so i was working at a food company a frozen food company and i doing everything from truck driving to working in the warehouse just doing uh, manual labor jobs pretty much and then they offered me a job in the sales department and I thought, okay, let's try it. There's an opportunity here to make a lot more money. And so I took that. And I, but the whole time I was thinking, ah, oh, this just doesn't feel like I want to do, like I want to do this for the rest of my life. Well, in the midst of me working uh, for that company, I was living out in West Jordan, Utah at the time. 
and there was a, an at-risk or a school for at-risk boys out there at the time, and it just so happened to be in my, my area, and they were asking people in the area if they wanted to volunteer and work with these at-risk boys, and so I decided, okay, yeah, I'll go do that a few hours a week. You know, they asked for a 10-hour a week or 10 hours a week of donating your time. Well, while I'm out there, I'm just throwing the football with the guys and, and having fun and all this. And and these boys just started asking me questions. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about what you did when you were growing up. And, and I would tell them and they go, man, your life was so much more interesting than mine. And all this. I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's fine. You know, at least you had parents there to, to take care of you and everything. And, you know, I had been having to support myself. It wasn't that much fun. Well, well anyway one day one of the therapists at this particular uh, uh, school well it was a school slash um, uh, mental health facility one of the therapists came up to me and said hey are you brad newfeld and i said yes i am and he goes well we need you to stop talking to these boys huh. i'm like what do you mean stop talking to them they're asking me questions i'm answering them <laughs> you oh, know no. and they said well you're you're messing up their treatment plan and I'm like, what the crap's a treatment plan? <laughs> and so <laughs> I had no idea what that uh, that whole field was all about. And again, the boys are just asking me questions. I'm answering them. And then a few weeks later, I had another one of the therapists come to me and say, what are you teaching these boys? So I'm not teaching them anything. Again, they're asking me about my experiences. They'd ask me what I would do in certain situations. And that's all I was doing was telling them that. And they said, well, one of these boys here, they're telling me that you're helping them more than me, and you're not a licensed therapist, so you need to stop talking to them. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I ended up having to stop volunteering there because of that. But then that got me to think, Kathy Lee, it got me to think that, all right, maybe there's something here. Maybe I went through all of this for a reason. Maybe it, was, it wasn't all for naught because I was in the process of beating myself up thinking, you know, why did this happen to me? Why did I have to go through this? Why didn't I get to join all the clubs in high school and be part of that? And after feeling sorry for myself for a long time, this happened and it just really started my life in a whole different direction. And I thought, okay, maybe there's something here. Well, what is it I'm doing that's helping these young men out? And so I started uh, working in the field of psychology, in the field of, of mental health. And I actually started that clear back in 1988 right around in there. Uh -huh. And so that was, that was my focus. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing this. And, um, and as I got into it, I noticed that I did have a niche working with at-risk youth and their families, uh, but it, it was more coming from a mentoring uh, aspect versus being a therapist. Because, uh -huh. you know, uh, if you're familiar with that arena whatsoever, I mean, the therapists are trained to diagnose with certain mental illnesses and and then they put together again. That's where I've learned about what a treatment plan is, is to help to put them on a path to getting over the challenges that they're facing. Mm -hmm. And and as I was studying to become that, I started to realize, you know, you know maybe my my calling in this is because I noticed I I was able to take those parts of the business plan because I noticed most of the not business plan, forgive me, the the treatment plan, mm -hmm. and I would notice that most of the kids would go. Uh, okay, this is good. My therapist told me to do this, but what do I do? Yeah, they told me to go improve my my life in certain areas and work on my anger and work on, but what do I do? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, here's what I think they're trying to tell you to do. And I go back and talk to the therapist and say, what do you want this kid to do? And they would tell me, and I'd say, well, do you mind if I follow up with them and make sure that they follow through on it? And 
they, uh, the ones I was working with at the time said, yeah, why don't you try that? Because we can't get them to do that. And so I found a niche in helping them to implement the things that they were being taught. And so instead of just teaching them and then throwing them out, not throwing them out, that's a bad word, but in sending them on their way and saying, all right, go do this. I would sit with them and say, all right, what do we got to do to make this happen? And I became more of a motivator. Mm-hmm. Well, that just opened up the whole thing of I want this is the, the field that I wanted to be in. So I started to be entrenched in it quite heavily, uh, worked for several companies. But then after a while, I realized that uh, what I was teaching was very unique and I wanted to get that message out to the world. So that's where the entrepreneur side of me kicked in. And I said, OK, if we're going to do this, we if I'm going to get this message out there that I have for the world and for these at-risk youth and their parents, it's going to have to come from a whole different perspective. So that's when I made the decision to start my own, uh, start my own way of doing that. Wow. Well, that just opened up a whole, whole, a whole new world to me. I ended up uh, landing a contract in Southern Utah down around the St. George area. Uh-huh. And that contract was working with the, with the at-risk youth there in that area. Actually, it was 11 counties we were working in. And we were working with the Department of Workforce Services, and it was a lot of fun. It was intense, but it was fun. And so we were able to make quite a difference uh, with working in that contract there. And then after that contract ran out, after five years, that's when things kind of changed a little bit again. And so it was like, okay, now what? The funding that we had (laughs) was all gone. And so then I had to take a whole other look at it and come at it from a whole different angle. Okay, how can I recreate the program? you know, and find it, find the money from the private sector versus the public sector. And that was a challenge. But again, it just helped cause me to uh, become a serial entrepreneur. How's that? Wow. Is that a good way to look at it? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. And so just uh, I've gone on to uh, establish several different programs. I've been a consultant helping at-risk youth and their families for, for many years. And then, then things uh, took another little um, uh, turn after a little while. And I was ended up having a lot of health problems. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I found out that I had a, uh, a hole in my heart. Whoa. Which, yeah, all of these things. The doctor was well. What? Where it all started was I had already, even though I had played football and all that when I was younger, my uh, I would get lightheaded quite a bit, and I'd go to the doctor, and they'd just say, "Oh, you just." Uh, you know, you need to get more rest or they tell me I need more iron and all the things that they did. Some, well, sometimes it would help me, sometimes it wouldn't. But then I, uh, when I was about, um, let's see, this was in 2000, uh, let's see, when was it? 2008, I had a very severe uh, migraine headache is what they were calling it. And it just would not go away. It started like in October and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it just was putting a lot of uh, pain behind my eye. And though I'd gone to the, the doctor several times, the mm-hmm. doctor just told me that, well, Brad, you're just too stressed. You've just got to, you know, relax somehow. You've got to start taking care of yourself better and all that. And I'm like, well, I feel like I'm doing all those things, but nothing's going right here for me. Mm-hmm. Well, then in November of that year of 2008, my brother, my oldest brother, Barry, had passed away uh, from an enlarged heart. Um, and so I went down to his funeral down at the, the latter part of November. And when I came back first week of December, it was like uh, the pain was just intense. And the doctor just finally says, Brad, I've got to get you to the hospital. I've got to get you to the hospital. Well, I, I always like to add these little things in. They're funny after the fact, but 
Uh, I just said, you know, I was kind of stubborn. I don't want to go to the doctor. <laughs> I mean, to the hospital. I've never been to a hospital. I don't want to go there now. And he said, well, Brad, if, if you don't go now, he goes, I'm going to call the police and tell them you're suicidal. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, you need to get to the hospital because something's going on there and I just don't know what it is. And so I went to the hospital and they later diagnosed me with a brain abscess. I actually had an infection in my brain that was uh, that was growing. And so that was kind of uh, it was at the back located towards the back of my brain and it was actually growing and pushing my brain forward. It was a strep virus. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they ended up having to cut the back of my head open and get that to get most of the infection out. But then when I came to after the operation, I ended up losing my sight. And that just freaked me out. I'm going, I can't see. All I saw was just a big old blur. And I'm like, I just, I, I you know, like, I cherished my, my sight. <laughs> but then after a while, I just realized, you know what? I just need to relax and let God take charge because I, you know, God's in charge here. I'm just going to, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'll just make the best of it. Well, uh, a few weeks after I got out of the hospital, uh, I was having, well, the whole time I was having to have injections twice a day because of the infection. And, and I was kind of, well, I didn't know this till after the fact, but the doctors told me afterwards, yeah, you should have died. You should be here. Wow. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they said, well, we didn't, I did why didn't you tell me that while I was going through all those ups and downs? I go, well, what, did you really want to know that? And I'm like, uh, I guess not. But I ended up getting spinal meningitis because the infection went down into my spinal cord. Mm. And so that was another week and a half in the hospital. Oh, the, the pain was just, just, you know, overbearing. But then after a while, started feeling a little bit better and was able to get off all the antibiotics. And they cleared me, said that the, the, as far as they could tell, the infection was gone. Well, then uh, uh, my sight started to gradually come back, and, and about seven months later, it, it all came back. I just literally woke up one morning and went, oh, my sight's back. <laughs> my sight's back. I can <laughs> I can see now. I'm going to go for a drop. And, of course, my wife's going, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, Let's go get you cleared with the doctor first. So I'm like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. And so um, anyway, uh, it was about a year later. Because uh, first of all, they could never find out where the infection got up into my head at. Because mm -hmm. they said there's only you know four places that the uh, the infection can get up into your brain, and they had checked all of those in the hospital. And it was a year and a half later, uh, my wife. It had been discovered that she had a hole in her heart, and I had described to her doctor uh, the brain abscess that I had had, and he just stopped and looked at me like with a blank stare and says. Uh, Brad, did they ever find out how that infection got up in there? And I said, no. He goes, you've got a hole in your heart. And I said, well, they did all these tests on me. He goes, yeah, they x-rayed your chest, uh, but they, they'll never find the hole in your heart from the x-ray. So they have to do another uh, type of test, of which they had to do. And sure enough, the whole upper wall, the, uh, the, the upper chamber of my heart, the wall between the right and the left side, mm -hmm. uh, was not there. Well, tell, and, uh, how how was the yeah. business part going? I mean, you got all this business started, and you're sick. So yeah. how did well, you? Well, here, there's that's where the miracle came in, Kathy Lee, because uh, I just uh, I the miracle came in was I had been telling everybody what it was I was doing, building this program for at-risk youth, and there was a lot of people who wanted to 
to support me in that effort. And it was interesting to see how my business grew more <laughs> when I was down and couldn't see and I was home, you know, bedridden, for lack of a better term. Uh, more people came to the cause and, and wanted to help me build my business. It was just a beautiful thing to see. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So they and all so, came forward and help you mm-hmm. stay, keep yourself going and yeah. and yeah. You, and keep this entrepreneurship of yours going. Absolutely. Wow. And so that ended up turning into me owning a day treatment. It's called day treatment. It's a, uh, it's one of the levels of mental health uh, in the mental health industry that, uh, uh, you know, if somebody is having severe trauma or their suicidal tendencies or just uh, any experience, any kind of behaviors that is just in an out of control or a, oh, a situation where the parents aren't able to handle it they'll send them to these inpatient treatment centers. Uh, and then the next step down is what's called day treatment, where the kids would come to us Monday through Friday and be with us all day. You know, during the day, they'd go home in, in the evening. But that was the program that I had established uh, down in Provo, Utah. Mm-hmm. And so and so that went on for a while. And then, uh, and then I started having some more uh, brain uh, challenges. And those after the, those started happening, I started happening what uh, what's called mini strokes, where mm-hmm. they they're also short for TIA. But I had a, a pretty bad one back in uh, two years ago, October. And so the doctor told me, my uh, other doctor told me at that time, the neurologist said, Brad, first of all, you shouldn't be alive. The brain injury that you have, it's been ten years. He says I've never met anybody that's lived past six years <laughs> with that particular brain injury, and so. You're lucky to be alive here, but you've got to reduce your stress or you're done. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to die. Well, Brad, so I, Brad, hold that thought. Please hold that thought because, yeah, we're going to go into a commercial break and we'll be right back after these messages and we'll hear more from the farmer to a business owner. Hold on. Okay. Hi, my name is Drusilla. I am the founder and owner of Drusilla's Closet. I've created a unique system to organize your pantry and kitchen. The system also works great in various parts of your home and garage. Also in my closet, I have unique furniture, art, and decor. You can find us on Facebook, Drusilla's Closet, or call at 435-224-9266. Hey, this is Sabrina, the owner of MathBeast EQ'd. I believe mathematics is the most important subject students should learn, but sometimes traditional schooling isn't enough. I have a classroom space in Bluffdale, Utah, or we can use Google Meet or Skype. Call me at 385-515-8600. Let's help your student become a beast at math so they can be a beast at life. I'm Esther, co-founder of Head & Home, Horse Rescue, and Equine Therapy. We have a program called the Cavalry Club, where if you join, some of the benefits are you'll get to ride horses at a fraction of the cost. You'll also get awesome discounts on riding lessons and more. Cavalry Club membership is $75 per month per person. With the membership, you get a one-hour, 30-minute riding session every week unlimited supervised visits to the facility, discounted membership for family members who 
ride at the same time, discounted riding lessons, discounts for birthday parties or other events, and discounted tickets to Head and Home events. Come check us out on our website, headandhome.org, where you can see photos of our horses. Come visit us to see them live. You can reach us at 801-254-1687. Hey, this is Brian with Better Accounting. Do you know how much money you will owe in taxes? Do you just blindly save money here and there and hope it is enough to cover your tax bill? There is a better way. Wouldn't it be nice if you could go into the tax season knowing exactly what your tax bill will be? Or better yet, wouldn't it be nice to make smaller payments throughout the year so you are not scrambling to pay your taxes? Better Accounting is the proactive solution to business taxes and accounting. Our team believes in regular communication with our clients. We meet with our clients multiple times throughout the year. Effective tax planning does not just happen during the tax season. If you are looking for a hands-on partner in your business, give Better Accounting a call. Call our office at 385-257-8866 or check out our website at betteraccounting.com. We work in all 50 states. Again, give us a call at 385-257-8866. We look forward to working with you. Thank you so much for staying with me. I'm sitting here with Brad Newfeld, and he is the farmer to business owner. Brad, how are you yes. still hanging in there with me? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating. Um, I know you had a lot of health issues to come up and everything, but, and then everybody came forward and still kept your business going for you. Yes. That is amazing. And um, being from the farmer, you know, farming is not easy. No, it's not. Everybody thinks that it's, it's not an easy job, but then it go from that to an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur takes a lot of work. So you, you, maybe farming just got you ready to be an entrepreneur. And that, that's exactly, you're, you're so right, uh, Kathy Lee. That's what I feel has happened too, uh, because of the hours. I mean, there were so many times when you, you had to get things, you had so many deadlines that you didn't have control over. It wasn't something that you could call and negotiate and say, uh, hey, can, can you uh, hold the, the summer months off a little bit longer here so we can have time to get these uh, seeds in the ground. No, you either got it done by a specific time or you just didn't have a very good crop. Mm -hmm. And so, and the, and the other aspect is there were so many times when uh, uh, you'd have to do things out of the blue that you weren't prepared for and, and make things work. Uh, all of a sudden something, uh, you know, you started seeing that you're, uh, half of your crop is eaten by the animals that come out of the woods there. You have to go over there and, you know, set up uh, uh, things in the middle of the night, literally sometimes to get them to, to stay away from your crops so that they can continue to grow. Uh, there was just all kinds of things like that that would just happen that you'd have to follow, follow up with, mm -hmm. or it would rain when it wasn't supposed to rain or it was, <laughs> there was all kinds of things there too. Mm -hmm. But it, I feel like it did. It prepared me for the ups and downs of business and 
and in many ways shaped me to to be able to conform. Well, with business, the reason I feel like a lot of people don't start businesses, they have the desire to, they want to feel free, they want to have their own things, but they they get in to it without realizing how much goes into it. And when mm-hmm. things don't go your way, it's really hard to plan for every possible thing that's going to come out at you. And if you don't develop that attitude of, all right, something's happened here. How can we fix this? How can we move on? Most people just get angry and frustrated, throw their hands up and say, I don't need this. I want to go on and do something else. But mm-hmm. it seems to be a common thing that every business owner has to go through in order to obtain what their ultimate desire is. And that's to run the business Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you know that's uh, performing for them, helping them to meet their financial needs as well as their uh, career goals as well. Mm-hmm. And how what would you say to somebody, someone young, a younger person having a dream, and you know he wants to be an entrepreneur in I don't know a multi-level company or something that he truly mm-hmm. believes in? It's still the same thing. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah, because I uh, this is the advice that I give to uh, the youth and also uh, other people as well. Go into the business opportunity with your eyes wide open. What I mean by that is don't fall for all these things that it's going to happen overnight. We're just in a society, Kathy Lee, that everything happens so quickly and we get used to things happening quickly. And if it doesn't happen quickly, we're out. Well, guess what? When it comes to business uh, business building, those things have always been, there's so many specific uh, patterns that are followed, that, you know, that happen out there and they're very consistent. The patterns are very consistent. Mm-hmm. It takes between three and five years to build a business, period. And anybody who tries to circumvent that, yeah, they were lucky. That's mm-hmm. not the norm. But here's the other thing too, if you have it, Uh, If you have it in your mind at the beginning, all right, I'm starting this and it's going to take this three to five years for me to produce an income where it's going to be feeding me. Then you have the stick-to-itiveness built up in you to persist until it does happen. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Um, Brad, I always congratulate people in business who pass the three-year mark. I go, yay, now you're going to get to seven and then now you have to get to 11. (laughs) Yeah. And I tell people all the time, you know, when you start this business and if you're of this mentality that, well, I'm just not getting paid very much for what I'm doing. Right. When you're starting a business, you are very underpaid for what you do. Very underpaid. But guess what? And you work all those hours. You work all those hours. Mm -hmm. But guess what? There's going to come a day when you're going to be very overpaid for what you do. Okay, <laughs> and that's what you want to work towards. But mm-hmm. it, it requires that uh, grit, that uh, basically living, eating, breathing, sleeping your business twenty four seven, in order to in order for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Has that been your experience as well? Oh yes, I um I've been entrepreneur since nineteen eighty nine, eighty seven, eighty nine. I started with a hair salon. I can tell you days I cried. Yep. I'm never gonna make any money. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I work it all. I'm working sixty, seventy hours a week. But then all of a sudden it kicked in, and then you know people coming up at my door. I mean I had a clientele, 
but it just getting the business a business and a clientele is two different things so yeah, um and i had to get the business started get it going and I had to figure things out and then i got a tanning bed put in there that helped me with the days that it was slow and i can go on and on and on so i had to think i had to think okay what can i do to occupy this space in my salon so and i started doing that and so every corner of my salon was busy with something mm. so and that's how i made my money and then the next, you know, like you said, it's kicked in and it kicked in after years of staying there because I remember businesses around me will go in and out. They won't stay for three years. They won't even stay for four. No. <laughs> they would go in and out. And I'm like, am I the only dumb person staying in this? <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I the only one? You asked yeah, this don't question. you know how to quit, Kathy Lee? Don't you <laughs> know when it's time to quit? You probably... You probably heard stuff like yes. that. Yes, and people would tell me that. They said, you did your mm-hmm. thing. It's time to quit. And I look at them, and I get mad. And, no, 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 no. I'm going to stick it no. out. But that is just secret. And the same thing with anything, no matter if you do radio or you mm-hmm. do um, selling clothes or, or anything. It just takes patience and time. But I always yeah. recommend, I learned the hard way, too, it's always have another job on the side. Yes. Oh, yeah. The bread and butter coming in. And then every, it's like building a clientele as a cosmetologist. Yeah. I always I, had I a, I always had another job. Like I took a part-time yeah. job at night, da, 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 da. And then I waited six months to eight months to build that clientele. And mm-hmm. then once I built the clientele, then I quit. But anyway, yeah. and then um, with me, luckily me, I was in Tampa Bay. And I worked for a salon down there, um, Brad. And uh, yeah. I um, got a part-time job, did that for eight months. And then I tried out for the, the NFL team. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did, and I got on. I got on oh, as cool. a substitute, um, not a substitute, like a stand-in, stand-in for um, the girls, because sometimes they need those too, because they, mm-hmm. you know, either get sick or something so anyway so i was a stand-in cheerleader i had a few games just a few and um um and it was fun and it got me recognition because i was a nfl cheerleader even though i was Mm. just a part-timer and uh and so when you do things in the community and you get out there that helps your clientele and helps you also in business as well but, you know, here I am taking over you as my guest. But, you know, I I want to talk about farmer to business owner. Did you ever knew Congressman Bill Wharton? Uh, I, I know of him. I never met him. Okay. He was a farmer, too. Business uh-huh. <laughs> owner, just like you. And what he did, he was out one time helping his mother or something farm his family mm-hmm. go out on the weekends, even though he was a big week attorney for the IRS and all that stuff. Yeah. He, uh-huh. he was out there in the field and then all of a sudden he said, I'm going to run for Congress because he oh, was really? mad about the yeah. stuff that he heard. And so he didn't, it was hard work. Same mm-hmm. thing. That was very, very hard for running for public yeah. office. Yes. So you put your neck on the line and you have to keep up, keep up, keep up. Yeah, that that was very hard. I watched him, and he won. He won yes. two terms, yeah, and I, I remember that. Yeah, and he never gave up. So, but it's the same thing with anything you put your mind to. Anything. 
So, but I think farming too, like him, I noticed farming gave him hard knocks experience because he told yes. me too, it was, it was yep. not easy. And he grew up and he put him through college and everything. And, and, but farming was not, is I, excuse me, I take my hat off for people who do farming. It's just, it's not an easy job. Well, I think every every teenager should grow up on a farm. How's that? Yes, <laughs> the learning ins and out, and they have nobody to beat anybody up or bully or anything. They just have to go out there and and weed and whatever yep. farm trucks and stuff like that. Absolutely. But you, I think you well, love to appreciate nature. Do you appreciate nature a little bit more? Or? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Well, that's part of the reason why I, I felt to share my story tonight was that you can overcome anything. There's nothing that you can't overcome. If you have the mindset of, I, I'm going to do this, things happen for you. Uh, it's just like this, uh, this, this last stint here when I had the, uh, when I had to give up my youth uh, center, uh, I was like, okay, now what, what's next? And I went back through my memory banks and I thought, okay, what else do, am I really passionate about that I want to do? Well, radio was one of them. Uh, really quick, I'll give you the short version. Uh, that uh, down in St. George, the uh, the station manager down there heard that we had this program for at-risk youth, and he asked us to come in and interview on his uh, uh, program in the morning. And so we did. And I'm I'm telling you, I was so nervous. I mean, I wasn't born a public speaker, you know. I'll tell you that. But I I was so nervous, thinking, oh, there's going to be a hundred thousand people listening to me, and oh, well, you know, and. I think I was in the fetal position sucking my thumb the night before I went on that. <laughs> I was the night before I went on that. And I went there, and, uh, and it was uh, it was quite the uh, adventure. Anyway, afterwards, a couple of days later, the uh, station manager calls me up and says, Brad, I like your voice. And I went, okay. What, and you're asking me this why? He goes, would you want to do a radio uh, show on, this, on the weekends mm -hmm. on here on the station? And I thought... Okay, yeah, let's give it a shot. That was kind of on my bucket list, even at 30 years old, you know. <laughs> and so I thought, let's, let's go ahead and try that. Well, I was able to build the station uh, show audience up to, uh, it was, uh, there was quite a bit. We were number one on Saturdays, and wow. Saturdays it's really hard to get an audience and, and that. But I started to really enjoy it, and that's a whole other show if you want to talk about that with the ups and downs for that. Mm -hmm. But we, uh, but anyway, it was something I really loved. But then one day, uh, the station came and got bought out by another conglomerate. And so my show, they just axed it. Didn't matter if it was number one on the weekends. They wanted their own programming, and that was it. Oh, that's so stupid. then, that's, uh, because... That's another yeah. thing I find, um, Brad, in entrepreneuring and business and stuff. Some people make a lot of dumb mistakes. Yes, yes. I mean, you never, yeah. ever fire or mm -hmm. let some program go that's making the company money. Right. It's, like, it's just like firing your number one salesman. I know. Give me a freaking break. I, <laughs> I see that in the corporate world. I see mm -hmm. that everywhere. I'm like, I, don't like, I look at them and frown a little bit. And they're like, what's the matter, Kathy? And I'm like, are you stupid? You yeah. Know? And I, I just bluntly say to them, no. Like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> you are because it's and then i heard that's corporate america but yeah. anyway um make the long story short um but you know same thing with the farmer you can't fire a farmer you no you, 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 nope. you gotta get up did you have to get up early early morning hours mm -hmm. oh yeah 
yeah, we'd have to be up at the dawn. We, uh, again, it makes me sound really old, but yes, we were woke, woke up by the rooster and yes, they do crow when the sun's coming up at five thirty in the morning. And so <laughs> that was our alarm clock. Um, what do you think about farming today? Is it still the same way or has it changed? No, it's changed. It's changed quite, uh, differently. There, there's so many, uh, misconceptions about farming and how it goes on right now and again you there's two ways you can look at it some some ways you can look at it is uh uh well let me just say it this way the majority of the the produce you get and the things that you get that are normally grown on farms come from other countries and the reason they they do that is because it's cheaper for other countries well it also provides jobs for people in the in the other countries so i have a hard time going you know well do we really want to devastate them if they've got a, an area that grows bananas better than we do here in the states uh, you know more delicious bananas more delicious pineapples more delicious uh, well avocados southern southern california grows a ton of avocados but you know it, it's just cheaper to to buy it from other countries but it supports the other countries too so that's why you hear of the farm subsidies all the time because there's farmers out there and you never know when we're going to need them and they're going to need to get their farms up and running again. You know, if there's ever a crisis where more food needs to be uh, grown, uh, you're going to be glad you have those farmers in place ready to go. But mm -hmm. uh, getting on that farmer's list to get those subsidies is not easy anymore. So therefore, it's really hard to get into the farming business. Mm. And so That's so sad. I met a gentleman in the Midwest and he he grew something, I think, like you did, and it wasn't easy. It was not easy work. And uh, and we could talk about the seeds, too. I was really disappointed. I learned a lot about that, how the yeah. government controls our seeds. But, yeah. uh, you know, as a farmer to business owner, I know it was a hard knocks that taught you to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, and it's not easy. Everybody thinks being an entrepreneur is easy work. It's not and uh you make it a job in sales or something like that but it, remember even sales it takes time yeah. do you agree it does and again with the sales especially especially with sales you got to build a clientele if you want longevity in sales uh it's very i don't know too many sales jobs where you're just going to see a person one time and you can and you can keep going and going and going and selling to new people all the time unless you get a clientele i don't see how or referrals, just, referrals. Yes, yeah, referrals. So you have to pro provide excellent customer service so they'll want to talk about you to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to develop those skills. And it's not, uh, a lot of people don't want to. They, if they see somebody, a customer that doesn't treat them really well, they want to just say, oh, screw you, get out of here. I'm never going to do business with you again. Well, you just lost, you know, 10 to 20 potential clients by doing that, you know. Do you think a lot comes from being with, um, you know, like um, parents are not raising their children to work? I see that. Yes, again, that's a whole other show, too, because, again, if it, it, oh, this, this generation, oh, we, you're going to have to have me back on, Kathy Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. You do have a nice yeah, this, radio voice. But this I, generation, I, I see a lot of good kids out there. Don't get me wrong. A lot of good kids with good hearts. But that work ethic is not there. They give up so easily. And I, when I hear about this stuff, about they want to take a mental health day. Oh, I just don't feel like going to work today. I need a mental health day. <gasps> oh, and they don't get fired. Never... Nobody gets fired. Nobody, you know, it's like, 
Well, because they're afraid if they fire them, uh, they won't get any employees at all. So <laughs> they've got to keep them on board. But then production levels go down. And anyway, just don't get me started. We'll, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> I've been always been self-employed. So I don't know. I went to work for a few people out there, but I was always a yeah. hard worker. And yeah. uh, but the thing is, is, um, you know, but I'm always been self-employed. So I'm an entrepreneur and I know what it takes. And when yeah. I get ready to get started on something, I'm thinking, oh, no, it's going to take a long time. Can I remember yeah. how long it's going to take? But yeah. and then I just and then I do something now to get that thing started, like I told you before earlier. But um, yeah, the generation today, I live in a nice middle class um, mm-hmm. neighborhood. It's nice. Yeah. It's a little uppy, but it's it's still middle class. The kids yeah. don't work. The mm-hmm. kids don't. I never see them cutting the grass. Their parents are out there doing it. I right. never see them delivering the newspaper or anything like that. It's somebody else mm-hmm. or some company. And I thought, mm-hmm. dang, what's going on out there? I mean, I could use it. I'll pay somebody to mow my lawn, but they don't want yeah. to do it. Oh, no, I'm not doing yeah. that. I'm not getting my hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my word. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes. So, anyway, so the, the greatest thing I feel like I learned there on the farm was the stick to itiveness. That's what I call it anyway. Uh, just to, to persist. If you want something, you just keep going at it. It's it's like uh, I was explaining about the radio business there. Well, I, I went on to start another show and I took what I had learned from the first show and the next show I did was the internet based and I was able to build quite an audience after that. But then that that company went out of business. So I told myself, if I ever do radio again, uh, I'm going to do it where uh, nobody can take me off the air. <laughs> so, so anyway, but then after having the brain injury, I wasn't able to do radio anymore. I was just, my, my cognitive abilities were very limited. Uh, it was just somebody would ask me a question and I'd just sit there and stare. Okay. They said something, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to respond here. And no. it took me 10, 10 years to get that back. And so that's when, uh, like I say, the stars all aligned. I, I had to bow out of my youth business, but then I started my radio station, mm-hmm. uh, the, the okay. Resilience Talk Network, about two years ago, uh-huh. and it's finally taken off. So Wonderful. And isn't it something it takes some, take, takes time, it takes time to build that clientele. And yes, yes it takes it takes time, time and, to build the listenership and everything. Yeah. Yep, I've been doing radio for 11 years. Yeah. And I've been doing internet radio. So, yes. And it took a long time. It's still taking time again because now yep. I started a pod bean, podcast. Yeah. And mm-hmm. podcast is taking a little longer. Um, I was on radio, um, LA Talk Radio for like, oh, ever, like over, yeah, 10 years and stuff. And uh-huh. so, and then I started this pod a podcast and it's a little different but i love it because i can go on anytime i want where yeah, radio yeah. i had to be on this one hour you you gotta be there on time and you gotta <laughs> but you gotta admit it was kind of a rush wasn't it when, when the, you're sitting there watching the countdown and the commercials about on and they start playing the bumper music and it's kind of a rush isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But it is different. It's different. But it's like I can take control of it. And I can do as many shows as I want. So mm-hmm. and I and I like that too. And, and, yeah. um, and it, you know, gets me more exposure again. 
and yes. people are like, oh, Kathy's doing a podcast now. You know, what happened to radio? And I go, well, it's the same thing. They just called it a different it's name. A, yeah, same thing. It's That's just, what yeah, I even more, wanted to say. Like you said more control. Yep, absolutely. Yes, it's the same thing, but just a different name. And yep. um, um, so anyway, and, you know, there's a lot of things I don't like. I was offered radio, television. I got television coming to me left and right, but yeah. I just don't want to do television. I love radio. I love to be yep. on my own control. So, and I can take my headset off and go grocery shopping without somebody yes. coming down my throat. If Because if I was on the air, everybody would see my face and see my billboards, blah, blah, blah. But, yep. <laughs> but anyway, and then we just lost a radio guy. Uh, what's his name? Limbaugh. Rush, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Yes. My hat goes off to him. He's yeah. the reason why I started radio. Yeah. He was the reason yeah. why I started radio. And yeah. I, you know, listened to him with my husband and family. And, mm-hmm. and I thought, I want to do this. So yes. here I am. Sped yeah, up. I invite everybody. Everybody has a story. You, know, you hear the, the thing also that uh, everybody has a book in them. Uh, you hear all these cliches out there. But guess what? They're true. <laughs> and I've just noticed over the years that when people listen, especially to talk radio, and especially if they're searching for something and something specific and they listen to the podcast that talk that, that discuss the specific needs that they have, mm-hmm. they find it. They find somebody that they can relate to. And the, and the biggest thing is they can go, you know what? Somebody else out there has gone through what I've gone through and they've conquered it. What I liked that, about what you did, Brad, you never gave up. And it was probably because I do the farming. You know, you, you got to get out there every day, no matter what. Those no chickens what. and those chickens and cows need to be fed. And so, yeah. and um, you know, the animals need to be fed. The hay needs to be whatever. And yeah. Whatever it needs to be done on, on a farm, so you have no choice. But with yeah. um, um, a business, it's the same thing. In a business, you just have to do it no matter what. You just got to get up. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to go to work early. Sometimes you don't. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, Brad, I would like to thank you so very you so much welcome. for coming on my show and uh, for being a part of um, the Kathy Lee Parker show. And yes, I would love thank to invite you, you back. And thank you, thank um, you. and I would love to be a guest on yours as well sometime. You got it. Let's let's talk about it. <laughs> we're done here. Let's set it up. Okay. And again, this is Brad Newfield. Newfield. Newfed. Newfed. Newfeld. Yep. Yep, and thank you so much for coming on. And you have you a so great March and a nice Easter. And I will be talking to you soon about being a guest on your show. You got it. Thank you so much, Kathy Lee. You're welcome. Thank you for those for listening to the Kathy Lee Parker Show. If you have any questions, please give me a holler by sending me an email at kathyleeparker at live.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.